1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility one toward the other. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, at the proper time, he may exalt you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour someone. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we have heard your words, and we pray at this moment by your spirit you would be preparing us for you as you speak to us. So we give you our hearts, and we give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, Nancy and I had the blessing to spend four days away on Quadra Island. And we've been there numerous times. Uh, we like to kind of visit islands when we have some ch chance. And we've gone to Quadra quite often. What we usually do is find a different place to stay there. And this last time, we were really blessed. We found an Airbnb right on the bay side of Rebecca Spit. And we spent most of our time on the porch just staring out at the Discovery Islands and uh, all these snow-capped mountains behind them. It just kind of soaks in. What we, Nancy and I have noticed in going to Quadra Island, whenever you mention Quadra Island, people right away ask about Rebecca Spit. Um, there's a lot of other places in Quadra Island that you can see things, but it seems like 
When you say Quadra Island, people think Rebecca Spit. We see this in other places on Vancouver Island. Uh, take, Van take Victoria. Now we know that our capital city is known for a lot of different things. But internationally, it's known as the city of gardens. And so when most people you talk to them about Victoria, they think what? Bouchard Gardens. What, is, what, is, uh, what do people say when you say Port Alberni? What are we known for? Rain. Lots of rain. Some years ago, as a major mill town, we were known to have the highest wages in Canada. We are known as the home of the world's largest firefighting aircraft and the water bombers. We are known to be the salmon capital of the world as being designated by World Fishing's network as the ultimate fishing town. What are we known for as Aerosmith Baptist Church? Depends on who you ask. And I would say that would be true for every church in this community because the spiritual footprint of our Lord Jesus is not very deep in our community. And we see as one of the effects of that that Porno Birdie is becoming known as a town with a high crime rate. And that's not getting any better with all the air marijuana markets that are being planted in our community. It's uh, hard to plant and water the gospel in the shallow, shallow ground of humanistic rights and immoral entitlements. And we're not alone. Uh, behind all the facade of what people know about different places, there's a, there's a dark truth that we live in a world where people are desperately lost. Not only is Victoria known as a city of gardens, I'm not sure if you know this, but Victoria is also the witch capital of Canada. And Port Alberni is known for its endless, endless rain, but we've been pretty dry for a while. And we fear not water now, but fire. And Joe tells me the fishing's not very good either right now. Throughout the first four chapters of Peter's letter to the churches, that were suffering in uh, Asia Minor, the apostles have been telling them that Jesus Christ has an intent for his body, the church. We are to be, the church is to be the spiritual support for all of life on earth. In all of culture, in all of society, is to rest upon the church. And when God sets out to change the nature of a culture, the nature of a society, he begins with the church. So when God sits out to change it, which we see in the end of chapter 4, Peter told the people in the church that all the unjust suffering that they were experiencing because of their faith in Christ was from the hand of God, not from the evil one, from the hand of God, in order to purge and refine the church so the church would be what God intends it to be. And the purpose of the church is to glorify God by bearing witness to the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ into a broken and fallen world. Let me say that again. The purpose of the church is to glorify God by bearing witness to the grace of God through the gospel of 
Jesus Christ unto a broken and fallen world. And the witness for Christ has always been seen most clearly when we go through times of suffering. The church grows phenomenally in times of suffering. And so because of suffering, because it's a refining process, God uses it to remove the impurities out of those of us in the church. And we see that in 1 Peter 4.17, where we saw last week, when Peter said, for it's time for the judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? There's deer hopping around. There's a little one right out there too right now. Just distracting me. <laughs> Still got spots too. Poor up Bernie's got a lot of deer too. Lots of illustrations. In our text for today, Peter tells us how can we, we can remove the things that are in our way that are keeping us from bearing witness of the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He speaks to, in our text today, to the leaders of the church, and then he speaks to everyone else in the congregation. Or metaphorically, verses 1 through 4 are for the shepherds, and verses 5 through 14 are for the sheep. So Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, he says, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief steward, excuse me, the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter first exhorts the, the leaders, the elders of the church, telling them to shepherd the flock of God. Note that Peter begins with an expression of identifying himself with them as elders, a fellow elder he calls himself. And note also because Peter is an apostle and he could refer himself as kind of more superior, he doesn't do that. He simply calls himself a fellow elder as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, the sufferings of Christ he's talking about is not about the cross. Peter's not referring to that. But he's rather talking about the experiencing of the suffering that Jesus went through in the hands of unjust men. And so when he's talking to them about suffering, he's saying, I know what you are going through. I've seen this before. I've been going, I've had that in my own life. He could identify with those who were suffering. And this is where born-again Christians always ought to be when they must rebuke or repu uh, reprove or condemn another brother and sister in Christ. We are never to correct people from a position of superiority, brothers and sisters. Never. Rather, we should do that from a position of identification of being part of the children of God. Paul says in Galatians 6.1, that if you see a brother or a sister who is caught up in any transgression, you, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. It is our recognition that we are all prone to fall 
which enables us to speak to people and exhort and correct them, they will be able to hear that when we gently condemn, so to speak. That's what Peter's doing here. He's, he's not speaking from a higher platform. He's putting himself on their level and saying, I'm with you. I understand. I have the same experience. So when you're going to shepherd people, he's saying to the shepherds, shepherd them like I shepherded them. And I think that's true because Peter here is probably still remembering his last conversation that Jesus directed at him, we see in John 21. The incident occurred soon after uh, Peter's denial of Jesus. Three times he denied Jesus. And after Jesus rose from the dead, then three times Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, doing that in the sense so that he could get his relationship right with Jesus and also telling him to shepherd his sheep. Now I understand Peter's heart here because I quite often do not feel qualified to be a shepherd of God's sheep. There are times, brothers and sisters, when our hearts are truly right with God, we will feel, feel unqualified then. We will. Because we are. None of us here is qualified to lead. The truth is God uses us in spite of our faults, in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our failures, in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our inadequacies. And praise God, that's true, especially for those of us who are shepherds. And praise God also that Peter calls the church God's flock, not ours. A shepherd's job is to keep his eye on the chief shepherd and tend the sheep that God sends them. And a word to the sheep of the church about the shepherd's responsibility to not put himself above the sheep, that doesn't remove the shepherd's calling or its role, or his authority. Sheep are not to put themselves above the shepherd either. Romans 13 says, There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Hebrews 13 also speaks of this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. After Peter exhorts the elders to shepherd the flock of God, he then goes to to tell us what kind of character he expects from the shepherds that Jesus puts in place by putting together a number of self-motivations in contrast to some, some godly motivations to show what should really govern in a heart of a shepherd. The first one is to not shepherd under compulsion, which means not shepherding because you have to, not, not leading because there's some kind of outer compulsion, like someone demands it from you, someone is expecting it from you, or some kind of inner compulsion, like someone um, feeling guilty about not doing something, those kinds of things. So for inner and outer compulsions, uh, we are not to be doing it. We're to be doing it because we're, we're called to do it. He says, willingly, as willingly, he says, as God would have you. Or literally, it says, according to God. 
So shepherd the way God shepherds. Don't let anything else get in your way. The second motivation Peter speaks of is not for shameful gain. Shepherds could conceivably be motivated by position or monetary rewards that would come their way. But most likely it's because you would profit some other way, like praise and appreciation from the sheep. But Peter says, no, we are to shepherd God's flock eagerly because we want to, freely, without gain, and without notice. The third motivation Peter speaks of is not domineering over those in your charge. Now, there's something in all of us that wants us to dominate people. There just is. And there are some who say, well, is there any, any better authority to be than to have authority over God's people? And Peter says, no. Peter says, leadership is not lordship. It is not intimidating people. It is not commanding others. We have no right to command anybody, brothers and sisters, because God is the one who gives us commands. Instead, shepherds are to be examples of the flock. It says literally it is of the flock, which it means even to shepherds, be a sheep. I mean, I'm a shepherd and I'm a sheep both. We are to be examples of that. So we are to set the pace as leaders for the rest of the sheep. And this is where the authority comes in for a shepherd. Our authority as leaders and elders and deacons and deaconesses and trustees does not reside in our office, our training, our experience, or our background, but rather out of our obedience to the word of God. That's where our authority is. Peter then declares the ultimate motivation to which Peter looked the most in his shepherding was that would be the appearance of the chief shepherd. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Actions which spring out of self-motivations always fade if it's hard for you to keep your steam up if you're waiting for somebody to show you appreciation. Most people will not, and that's okay. It's not necessary. Shepherds should not look for appreciation. If that's what motivates us, you'll be disappointed. And we'll swerve from our calling. We must, it says right here, keep our eye on the chief shepherd and look for his approval. And that's true for all of us, even the sheep. Shepherds never do receive biblically their due reward in this life. And you see that throughout the Old Testaments and New Testaments of shepherds who, who the way they were treated. And uh, the Apostle Paul's reward for him was to be rejected by all the churches that he planted. And his reward from Nero was to have his head chopped off. But Paul said at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. And I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. That should be enough motivation for all of us. If we're looking for anything more than that, we will be disappointed. If we, Peter says, 
our shepherd, we need to keep our eyes on the chief shepherd and do what he does and say what he says. And when the day comes, we will get our reward. Peter continues to write, Likewise, you who, are, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. These words are Peter's second exhortation in our text, and now he is speaking to all of the sheep, all of us together, regarding how we can remove things in our lives that keep us from bearing witness of the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He tells us that in the midst of our suffering, when we are oppressed and unjustly treated, we are to submit to those who are over us because the hand which oppresses us is not the hand of our enemies, not the hand of the culture or society, not the hand of the people in the church, but the hand of God for his purpose. And the key word for us in the Bible when resisted or attacked, what's the key word Peter says? Submit. Now, we don't come into this world naturally submissive and humble. Amen? We come in proud. We come in rebellious. We come in resistant to authority. And when we become Christians, we do not suddenly become submissive either. The Spirit of God comes into our lives. He comes into our heart. We, we get a new heart. We get a new character. We get a new life. We get a new desire to begin to Submit to authority, God's authority first, and then the authority of others, but it doesn't come that easy. It's still a struggle. Sometimes we have to be embarrassed or humiliated before we can learn how to submit. But we have to learn how to submit because Jesus submitted to God's will, to God's authority. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we're to do the same. Jesus said, come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus calls us to be witnesses of his gentleness, of his lowliness, of his humility. This is all something we, we have to continually learn. Peter writes, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Peter begins here with young men because young men tend to be rebellious, but they'll also be our next leaders. In 2 Timothy, Paul exhorts Timothy to flee, or re flee from youthful lusts. And, and the word lust here is not necessarily sexual lust, but it's, it's lusts and passions 
the passion of wanting to assert yourself or have your own way and reject authority. This is a character of all of us when we're young and some of us continue to live that out characteristic in our old age too. Amen? No amens there. All of us need to learn to submit to one another and to Christ because followers of Jesus Christ must be willing to submit themselves to another's person's need, whatever those needs are, without insisting on others serve us. That's how we always look at it. Who's serving me? We are to follow Jesus' example. What he said in the Bible, he said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. True submission to God is humbly submission, submitting ourselves to serving the needs of others. Say that again. True submission to God is humbly submitting ourselves to serving the needs of others. Clothe yourselves, Peter writes, all of you with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's pride that keeps us from humbly submitting ourselves to the needs of others. The Bible says God opposes the proud. The term means to uh, the array of one's forces. So God stands in our way when we are proud. And we love to apply that to other people, don't we? There are people in my life and there's people I know who are so proud. And the greatest one being me. Praise God for his grace because God opposes me every time I proudly judge someone else. Praise God. Praise God that God exalts us when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he will exalt us. There's a sense of exaltation which usually follows humble service to others. A sense of well-being, of satisfaction, of peace in our heart because we know we're doing God called us to do when we serve other people and not ourselves. We know that deep down inside. You can feel it. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So when we clothe clothe ourselves with humility and we humble ourselves and stop asserting our rights and insisting everyone meet our needs, we need not worry about our rights, our needs, because God will provide when we cast all our anxiety upon him. He cares for us. We are to let God take care of our needs. We are called to make ourselves expendable and give of ourselves and serve others. And we need not defend ourselves. We need not defend our rights, because God can do that for us. He knows no matter what, what's going on in our life. He knows our struggles. He knows that he can do all these things and we can't. So we should cast them upon him because he loves us. But know that when we do these things, when we are humble, when we're doing, serving other people, we will experience opposition. We will experience resistance and suffering. Peter tells us this. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Followers of Jesus Christ who humble themselves and serve others have an adversary. They have an enemy, and that's the devil. 
He's an adversary who viciously hates us. He hates us and he hates the righteousness of Jesus in us. And he will do anything he can to destroy us. He is like a voracious lion, roaring in hunger, seeking to devour. Peter says, resist him. The question is, how can, how can a sheep resist a lion? Sheep are utterly helpless and defenseless. We are. Well, we don't have to defend ourselves. Our defense is our chief shepherd. Peter says, resist him, firm in your faith. What he's saying is, don't try to stand and do this on your own. Your strength is your faith in the crucified, risen Jesus Christ. The Son of God, who came to earth to die on a cross, in our place, paying the penalty for our sin, and then rising from the dead, defeating sin and death and Satan, so we might be forgiven and redeemed and restored back to God when we surrender our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, so we might know a new life here on earth and an eternal life in heaven. Satan can't beat that. When Satan attacks us with doubt or despair or discouragement or debased self-image, it's time to call to mind who God is and what God has said, and what he has done, and how much he values us. So we can reject the lie of Satan and stand upon the truth of the sword of the spirit of God's word. John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress is an account of a young man named Christian who's on a journey from the doomed city to the celestial city. At one point, he's making his way along, and he meets two young men, Timorous and mistrust who are running away from the celestial city. He stops them and asks, where are you going? And they say, back to the doomed city. And he asks them why, and they say, well, because up in the mountains there are lions crouching, ready to destroy you. Christian is frightened and he's tempted to turn back, but then he remembers there's a scroll he's been carrying around. So he reaches in his vest and discovers to his dismay it's gone. So he goes back to the place where he lost it and he, he found it, he retrieves it and he opens it up and he reads these words. Is your strength small? Fear not, for lions are chained. Keep in the midst of the path and no hurt shall come upon you. And so the Christian's knees was knocking and his heart was pounding, but he walked through the mountains in the middle of the path, accepting at face value what the scroll the truth of the scroll said to him. And he discovered that the lions were truly chained. They surged against the chains, but they cannot touch him because they are bound by a greater power. This is how we are to resist the devil. When there is a doubt or a fear of feelings of inadequacy or whenever Satan attacks our lives, we are to resist him. And Peter says, be strong in faith with a strong and faith, with a dogged determination to believe in what God is, who he is and in what his word tells us. And this is what Jesus did when he was tempted by Satan. He used the word of God. We are to do the same, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So many people around the world are being killed for their faith. And we are pretty untouched, but we do have our battles. 
and our battle is staying sharp rather than getting too dull. This is our common struggle. There's not one of us, not one of us this past week or even at this very moment who has not been attacked by Satan. He is always on the prowl. And the problem we have in North America is he disguises himself really well in comfortable things. John Piper has always said, the devil will not get us with poison, he will get us with too much apple pie. Some of us have a tendency to blame our struggles on themselves or others, but none of us is isolated from this. Uh, We need to know behind all of these things there is an evil. Some of the attacks that we have from Satan in our church are deep-seated habits, fortresses that are entrenched in our lives, and we need each other. We need to pray for each other. We need to hold each other up. There are also attacks that come where you can't stand by those alone. We need a group to be together. We're not intended to fight that by ourselves. So we are to come together and work together and fight together. When Christians are honest and open with each other, we find that many of us have experienced the same attacks, which also gives us encouragement. We need to trust one another and entrust the truth of God's word with one another and comfort one another and share our struggle together. This is the witness of the community of Jesus Christ. This is what God calls us to do. Peter then writes, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. These words are not wishful thinking. They are the rock-solid promise of Jesus Christ from God to us in times of suffering. When we suffer for our faith, they are I'll put it this way. Isaiah speaks of the oak of righteousness. Isn't that a cool sound? The oak of righteousness. In the midst of all of our struggles, we have an oak of righteousness. This is the picture of what's going on here. Back in, back in where I come from, we got big oaks, <laughs> and they're tough. Jesus Christ is our oak of righteousness, planted squarely, immovable, stable and steadfast in the midst of whatever struggle we face in life. The word of God promises that God himself, he even says that, God himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. And for how long? Forever and ever. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, send you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. These are Peter's concluding words for his letter. I'm not going to go through all of it, but the one verse we need to look at is verse 12. 
where it speaks of, I have written to you, briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. What does this refer to? Go back to verse 10. That's the this. After you have suffered a little while, the grace, God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's the this. This is the God of all grace whose intent is to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish the church to glorify God by bearing witness to God's grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ into a broken and fallen world. This should be the witness of the community of people who follow Jesus Christ. This should be our witness. This is what God wants Aerosmith Baptist Church to be known for. Wouldn't it be great to be known for this thing right here? This is what he intends all of his churches to be for. We just keep reminding ourselves that the culture and society around us is to rest on the church. I think too often we divide these things. We say, well, that's a culture and they're the enemy. No, we are here to lay foundation. We've lost lots of ground. We are here to claim it back. So know that God is using us to set, when we, when we lament what's going on in the world, this is our time to stand up. The Reformed faith talks about we are here to reform and bring things into line. When God set out to change the church, he has to change the church in order for it to win over the culture. The witness of the community for Christ is seen in, in humble shepherds who faithfully keep their eyes on the chief shepherd as they sacrificially feed and guide the sheep of Jesus. The witness of community for Christ is followers of Jesus Christ in the church submitting to the authority of Jesus and to those who God gives authority, even if they're oppressed or unjustly treated for their faith. And followers of Jesus in the church who submit themselves to God and submit themselves to serve others rather than themselves. Entrusting truth to one another, comforting one another, sharing in the struggle with one another. And followers of Jesus Christ who come together to celebrate the reality of God's promise that after we've suffered a little while, God's grace has called us to eternal glory in Christ. And God himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish him. And to him be the dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. So I'm not going to have a closing prayer, but I'm going to have probably something that works for us, that fits. Uh, last week we, we brought in, prayed for one of our new members in the church. And... Ivan wasn't here. So Ivan Wells, could you please come up? Ivan became a member a couple of weeks ago at a business meeting. And knowing Ivan, we've talked a while, and he feels that the church is a place he needs to be because he's had this struggles like we have, and he wants to support, and he wants to be part of what we're doing too. So let me pray for you, brother. Okay. Father, we, we come together today uh, with this great promise you have for us, that in the middle of all struggles in life, that you yourself, Lord, will come and restore us 
and establish us and heal us and, and take care of us. And Lord, that's what the church is to have a witness for. And so, Lord, our brother uh, has uh, joined us here in membership, and we pray, Lord, uh, for him. We ask, Lord, that uh, as he joins with us, we would acknowledge uh, with him that we are still imperfect, and you are still trying to finish us and work us through everything. We affirm, Lord, that, that we were created to serve you and to serve each other. We also ask, Lord, that... Uh, we would seek to, to know Jesus more and, and that we would come to know more Bibles more. And that, Lord, you would fill us with your spirit and we would be able to shine for you in whatever culture we are. Deepen, Lord, our prayers together. We ask for the blessing of your mercy as we uh, work through the, the troubles of our world, but also our own personal troubles. And I pray, Lord, that Ivan would be blessed in all of this too, that he would have a part and a good part and that he would be instrumental in some of the grace that we uh, experience here too. So we give you our hearts and bless you for being our God. And thank you, Lord, uh, for the church and that we might give ourselves more and more, not only to each other, but to people who don't know you so that we might grow grow the kingdom together. So we love you and praise you. And we give you our hearts and pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.